So I was, I was looking this week at some statistics on just Amazon, and apparently in, in 2019, they delivered 3.3 billion packages uh, globally. And so that's a, a lot of stuff, 3.3 billion packages, stuff coming in, stuff going out. And this sense that we're just kind of buried in stuff, I think especially in Western modern culture, has led to a, a backlash in certain ways, that, that people are, are hungry for a, a better philosophy of stuff. Um, and so you can think of somebody like Marie Kondo, maybe you've read her book or seen the Netflix documentary. Uh, she actually borrows from the Shinto religion in Japan to develop what is kind of a theology of stuff to help people tidy up, and it's, it's, it's useful stuff. Um, also, some of you may know, you know other movements. There's the tiny house movement. We have our own RJ <laughs> with his tiny house. Uh, we have um, zero waste. We have minimalism, uh, where people are saying, questioning the idea of more is better, uh, that, that all you need is, is more, and saying maybe actually less could be more in the end. And, and overall, I think that those are positive developments in, in American culture to one degree or another. But I think that people can sometimes forget that the Bible actually has a very robust theology of stuff. Uh, what it is, we view, how we view our stuff, how we treat it, how we think about it. Um, and that's what we see here in this passage from Luke. It, Christ is laying out this theology of stuff to his disciples, to the crowd. And you'll notice that it arises because somebody asks a question. Jesus is teaching, and then somebody just blurts out while he's teaching, says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And we don't know the, the situation. We don't know why exactly they were having this sort of inheritance dispute, but that's common. I mean, you probably have friends and family, or maybe you yourself have been involved in inheritance disputes. And you can tell that this man thinks that he's in the right because he's demanding something of Jesus, saying, tell my brother to divide it. I'm obviously in the right, so we just need an arbiter to step in here. But Jesus responds almost evasively. He made me a judge over you. He doesn't step into it as the lawyer, as the judge. Instead, he, it, he actually turns to the crowd and he begins to address the crowd, almost using the man as an example of what not to do, getting to the very heart of what was going on within, why he was struggling with this to begin with. And, and then he goes on to lay out this comprehensive theology of stuff. And so in, in verse 15 to 21, it's really a, a theology of getting stuff. And then verse 22 to 34 is a theology of, of losing stuff, letting go. So how do we think of what comes in what goes out? And so let's look first at this theology of, of getting stuff. In verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And so Jesus is saying that life is not about just getting more stuff. And that's why he tells them, be on your guard, watch out for covetousness. We, we heard in the, the Ten Commandment, thou shalt not covet. And if you were to look at the, the Greek word that's translated covetousness here, it's defined as 
the state of desiring to have more than one's due. Greediness, insatiableness, avarice, covetousness. And then Jesus explains why this is so important. He tells them, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That, that this is not ultimately what life is about. It's not about just the accumulation of more stuff, about building our own empire in the world. And then like any good teacher, Jesus then gives an illustration of what he's talking about. He gives a parable in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And so Jesus here is describing somebody who, according to the, to the world's reckoning, has a lot going for him. That he's the, the type of person who would be viewed as, as wise because his business is prospering. He's the type of person probably who would speak at conferences and, and write books about how to be successful in, in life and in business. But he has this big problem that his, his farm is actually doing so well, he's having so much produce that he doesn't have somewhere to put all of his, his stuff. Um, and you know, I'm always struck by that, driving 202, how many storage units there are where people are having to stuff more of their things in. Um, and, that, and that's what he, what he wants to do. He says, okay, I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'll be able to store more grain. It's this ambitious plan for expansion. And, and really, at the root of it all is this vision, this hope for the future that he's saying, if I work really hard, if I delay gratification, if I continue to build this business, this empire, then eventually I can, I can kind of lay back, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life. It's kind of the, in modern terms, saying I'm going to retire to Florida, kick up my feet, with a pina colada, and, and drink a good book. Or, or not drink a good book, drink and uh, read a good book. Drink in a book along the way. <laughs> um, but as he's thinking about this, forming his, his vision, his hopes for the future, God actually has a different assessment that that we get this, this under-the-surface vision of how God is viewing his success. Because it says, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so God's assessment is, is he's not wise, he's, he's not somebody who has it all together, but he's a fool. Jesus, he says, you fool. Because he's actually going to die that very night. All of his vision, all of his plan for the future and expansion and all of his vision for, for sitting around, enjoying all of his stuff is, is just going to be snuffed out in a second. And he's saying that, that eventually, where is his stuff going to go? And, it, and it's kind of ironic that he's, this is in response to somebody who is having a dispute over an inheritance. And he's essentially saying, you know, this man in the parable, his children are going to have inheritance dispute. Where is all of his stuff going to go? And I, and I think that we are more like this rich man in the parable than we think. And it's not just the, the world out there, but it's also 
us in, in church as well, that, that we can so easily put our, our hopes and our dreams in the, in the stuff that we have. We, we can spend more time thinking about and growing our portfolio than, than growing in the Lord, or we spend more time ordering stuff on Amazon than we do ordering our lives spiritually. And you can think of the, the parable of the sower where you know, some of it was among the, the thorns and it was choked by the cares and concerns of the world and of riches and it proved unfruitful in the end. But then look at what Jesus says down in verse 29. He says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added onto you. And I think that an, an illustration of this is something very famous. I'm sure you've all heard this, but I think it's, it's useful as well. The idea of trying to put rock, sand, and water in a jar. You've probably heard that illustrating. I've heard it illustrate lots of different points. Um, but it's a, it's a good image of that if you have rocks, sand, and water, it matters the order that you try to put it in the jar. That if you try to put the sand in and then put the rocks in, the rocks won't go. If you put the water in and then pour the sand in, probably the water would get displaced. But if you put the, the rocks in, pour the sand around it, then you can pour the water in and you can fit it in, in one jar together. And th that's what I, Jesus is getting at here, that, that if we live for money, for the accumulation of stuff, for possessions as the number one priority in our life, then we could end up in the place of the rich man in the parable of God saying, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you, where we could end up coming before God with, with spiritual poverty, unable to stand before him because we're, we're still trying to, to do it on our own, out of relationship with God, forever because our priorities were completely off. But then if we, we make God number one, seek first his kingdom, have Christ as the, the central priority of our lives, that he says, God knows what, what you need, that we have the, the confidence of eternal life with him forever. And he says, and these things will be added on to you. So there's a, a promise here as well. And, it, and it's not the prosperity gospel. It's not saying that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then you're going to become fabulously wealthy and life is going to be easy. And, and if you're struggling financially, then it's a sign that you've done something wrong or you don't have enough faith or you're not trusting God. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying that we shouldn't plan or we shouldn't prepare for uh, retirement or we shouldn't think about the future, but what he's saying is that, that God is not going to leave us high and dry, that, that if God has fruitful work for us to do in this, this life, that he's not going to, to call us to do something and then not give us the resources, that, that he's going to care for us, even if it involves suffering, even if it involves sacrifice, that, that God is, is, is good. He cares for his children. And so that's our, our theology of getting stuff. But then second, let's look at our, our theology of, of losing stuff. And that, that's verse 22. He said to his disciples, 
Therefore, in light of this parable, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. And, and he says, don't be anxious about your life. But then you think, well, what does that mean? And, and he takes it in a way to the most extreme place. He's saying, he says, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing, what you'll put on. You think those are the absolute most bare necessities. Those, that's, that's way beyond you know, needing a, a cell phone or the things that, that we worry about. He's saying, don't even be anxious about those things. And I'm sure that, that every single person here, to one degree or another, has anxieties for the future. We have anxieties about money or work or family or sickness or cybersecurity. Um, and this feels like every day there's something new to be anxious about. And apparently about 40 million American adults, about 18% of the population, struggle with an anxiety disorder. But here Jesus is saying, don't be anxious, don't be afraid. And, and it's not this sort of trite, just don't do that. But he, he gives the, the reason in, in verse 23, he says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. That, that it's, this is not what, what life is ultimately about. And then just as in the, the theology of getting stuff, he, he then gives two illustrations here to drive it home again. Look at the, the first illustration of verse 22. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, nor have storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And so Jesus is essentially, he's pointing at the, at the sky and saying, just look at the, the birds. Uh, unlike the, the man in the parable who has, you know, he's thinking 10, maybe 20 years into the future, planning that, that the birds don't do that. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't build barns. It's saying, yet God in his providence provides for them, that they can live essentially day to day and experience the, the providential care of God. And if God cares for birds, he's saying, how much more will God care for us, his children, people created in his image? And then Jesus gives a, a second illustration in verse 27. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And so here, then Jesus, he went from reflecting on the sky and the birds to looking at the, at the ground, the, the grass, the, the, the lilies. And he's, he's saying, you know, they don't toil and spin. They're not concerned. They're not anxious. Yet God is, is caring for them. And actually, their, their beauty and their glory surpasses even Solomon and, and great kings. And if God's going to care for grass that's here today and gone for tomorrow, how much more is he going to care for us? Again, people created in his image, his, his children, his, 
of those whom he, he loves. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And that's, that's where we are, that, that, that we're, we're anxious and we're concerned about, about losing because of the, of we are of little faith. And you might say, well, maybe Jesus is just being idealistic here because he doesn't know where you are. He doesn't know what it is to deal with, with your student debt or your credit card debt or your mortgage and the, the struggles that you're going through right now. And as I said a minute ago, Jesus, he's not being unrealistic. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't think into the, to the future. But he wants us to have so much confidence and certainty in God's providential love and care that we can actually have the attitude of give me this day my daily bread. Lord, I'm trusting you not for tomorrow. I'm trusting you for today, for your provision, knowing that I don't know what tomorrow holds, whether I have a million dollars in the bank or I have nothing in the bank, that, that God is still God. And that's why in verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so he's saying it's his good pleasure. God's not holding back good things from his children. And I was, I was talking to Bob recently, and he was telling me how apparently when children are adopted, especially from overseas or from extreme poverty, uh, sometimes it, it takes time to adjust to being in a home where there's not a scarcity of, of basic necessities. And so that they, they may actually start hoarding food, you know, secretly stuffing food under their beds so that they can, because they say, yeah, maybe I have stuff right now, but I don't really know, I don't can't trust these people yet to know that they're going to continue providing for me in the future. And that's so often, I think, how we live in relationship and connection to God, where we're planning not just to be wise and to steward what God has given us, but we're planning because we're anxious and because we're afraid. And ultimately, because we don't trust God to provide, that we are living like orphans who are saying, you know what, I really don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. Yeah, you were here today, but you might just leave. I can't trust you. And that's not how Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to live in, in confidence of his love and his care. And actually to such a point that we're willing to let go, not just to hoard, but to let go. And that's why he, in verse 33 he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And of course, throughout church history, there have been people who've taken this to the extreme, because it is a direct command. I mean, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself money bags that do not wear out. And so some people have said, well, maybe this is a, a universal command for all believers. And so you can think of monks who sold everything, made vows of poverty, moved out to the, to the desert. And I, I don't think that that's what Jesus is commanding for each and every one of us. There's, there's a place for private property, for, for owning things in this life. But I also don't think that we should dismiss this command too lightly because I think we're, we're maybe too quick to say, oh, no, no, that doesn't apply to me. This isn't 
related to where I am today. I don't need to sell anything. I don't need to get rid of anything. I don't need to, to give anything away. I'm totally fine where I am. But I think that, that Jesus uses what's, what's almost hyperbole to say we, we, you should, we should flip our, our paradigm. Instead of thinking, what should I, of all the things that I have, what should I give away? That it's this paradigm of, of all the things that I'm giving away, what should I keep? What should I hold on to? And, and I, was, I was trying to think of examples of this. And most of you know that I'm a, a bookworm. Um, and I, they're kind of building up in my office. And I'm trying to figure out where to put them all. Um, and so I, you know, I was, as I was working on this message, I was kind of looking around, like, what would this mean? It's like, oh, do I have to get rid of all of my books? And, and, um, but I, I, I think that as, as we think through this, what does this, what does this look like? That, that is, you know, as I look around the books in, in my office, that my, what my attitude should be is more, I really would love to give these all away to people who could use them for fruitful ministry in the, in the Lord's service, but I'm willing to hold on to these things because they are actually useful to me in my ministry right now. So I'm, I'm willing to, to hold on to them out of service for, for God and for his church. You can think about in other things, retirement. It's not wrong to have a retirement to, to plan for the future. But are we doing it so that we can eventually kind of kick up our legs and live for ourselves? Or are we planning for retirement so that actually we can, without being a burden on others, can actually continue pouring ourselves out of service for friends and family and neighbors and church until the Lord takes us home, that, that we, would, we want to give it away, but we're willing to hold on to it if it means fruitful service for others. Or it's not wrong to own your own home. But again, is, is your home your own sort of sanctuary that's for you and for your own purposes? Or is it saying, no, Lord, I want this home to be, be used for others, for the, for the service of your, your kingdom? And so I'm, I'm willing to hold on to the burden of upkeeping a house if it means that I can love and serve others better. And I th that's the kind of a, a paradigm and attitude that I think Jesus is getting at here. But, but thankfully... We have an amazing pattern of this in Christ himself. Because the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And that's what we see here in this meal. We see Christ becoming poor for us so that we might become rich. And, it, and it's not rich in just outward wealth, but, but that we might be rich towards God, that, that we might seek first his kingdom. Because no matter how much you have, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much you have stored up, that our default position coming into this world is extreme poverty towards God, seeking our own kingdom and the kingdom of Satan, not the kingdom of God. And, and Christ eternally had all of the riches of glory. And he didn't set aside being God, but when he entered into the world, he set aside his, his outward display of, of glory for us. He, he became 
he emptied himself. As the scripture says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he was the complete opposite of the man in the parable. He had, instead of having barns full of possessions, even his own garments had been stripped off of him. He, his own friends had abandoned him. He had nothing as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he became poor, but actually so that we might become rich in him. And so as we repent and trust in him, our poverty is counted to him on the cross. His riches are counted to us. And then, and then what we have here is this picture of what our life is about, where what ultimately sustains us. And it's not the food that you have in your refrigerator at home that ultimately matters and ultimately sustains you. That it, but it's the food that Christ gives you, that Christ giving you himself, saying, feed on me through faith, rely on, on me. And then we can begin to flip our paradigm of saying, Lord, I'm not living for more stuff, but I'm actually living to give and to serve until you take me home.